it's a Monday and the uh, podcast is um, on. I'm Bob McCowan. That is uh, John Shannon. Just a two-bit player. That's okay. Just a two-bit player. That's okay. Well, I could have said one bit. But two bits is a quarter. Yeah, I got it. That's 25 cents. That's pretty good. Not bad. You know, but it's Canadian. More than we're making for this uh, nonsensical (laughs) thing we're doing here. At least for the moment. Um, Another basketball game tonight for the uh, Toronto Raptors against the uh, same opponents as their first game, which they won, uh, well, quite comfortably. A couple of blips in there in the middle. A 19-point streak by the Hornets, but nonetheless. Um... our good friend and uh, the uh, color commentator for the Toronto Raptors on television. Well, all things NBA on TSN. Jack Armstrong is with us. Nice, uh, nice top you got on there. Supporting the <laughs> Buffalo Bills, huh? Talking proud today, Bob. Uh, Not a boy. Huge win over the Steelers. And uh, I know you have a big game tonight. Your Cleveland Browns against the... The, the former, former Cleveland Browns. Like Baltimore Ravens, so you can put them out of your misery tonight. So that's a big one tonight. And John, always a thrill to be on with you. Hey, before we talk about the Raptors, I got to ask you about the Bills because they are one of the, the league's best teams. They are, I mean, Josh Allen has proved to be mature beyond his age. Uh, they've got great, have some pretty good receivers. Their running game, their defense, everything seems to falling into place. And... Buffalo is one of those towns that would appreciate this more than any other. And yet it's difficult to, people have had a difficult time probably showing their appreciation when they can't go to Orchard Park. Yeah, no, uh, it's been a, a, it's been a really good four year run. Obviously this will be the third time out of four years uh, making the playoffs. And uh, it, you know, you guys know this, it's a people business and uh, I'll never forget. I was in Charlotte, five years ago uh, with the Raptors and I had lunch with Bill Polian and uh, Bill said to me, he goes, I think the bills are going to hire Sean McDermott and he'll probably bring Brandon Bean with him as his GM. He goes, uh, he goes, I told the Pagulas, these are the guys that can turn it around. They're really good. Uh, So to me, I I think it, it comes down to you get the right people and you leave them alone. And as you can see in the, in the, uh, beginning of the season, they extended Sean McDermott. I think he's uh, okay now through 2025. And then they just extended their GM on the same timeline. Uh, I'm a big believer the best organizations kind of, you know, get the right people and support them and stay out of their way. Now, the Pagula's got to figure out what they're doing on the hockey side with the Sabres. Uh, but I, I think uh, they have allowed – those guys to run their football operation and they're both good football men and they've brought in really good players. And, and uh, I'm a season ticket holder. I love going. Uh, I wish they could have been there last night, but uh, having a few beverages in my living room, watching the game and I really enjoyed it. So uh, it's good to see good people succeed. I'm not, I don't think I'm overstating this, but look, I, I am, I am firmly of the belief that in football, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a, you don't have a chance. And I think, I think that's a 95% accurate statement. Every once in a while, some guy comes along and you incorporate a very conservative offense, especially back in the days where the running game was an integral part of it. Um, you know, you just tell the guy, hand the ball off. Bob Greasy was a classic example. You know, Bob Greasy, I think, threw an average of like 14 passes a game 
which I mean, he had well, when you had Jim, when you had Jim Kick and Larry Zonka behind and, you and Mercury Morris. Come on now, come on now. I, I mean, I, I well, that's what a I'm different saying. Different time, at, different time and a place, though. I mean, well, no, the I league get it. Has changed. The, this is a this is a hundred percent quarterback league now. All right, but but was Bob Greasy a great quarterback? I think he was just an ordinary quarterback surrounded by great talent, and and um, and Shula knew how to use him. So. Um, I mean, I know there are exceptions here, but Jack, you've got a great quarterback, it would appear, for the first time, maybe since Jim Kelly, maybe? Uh, two things. Number one, uh, the NFL now is flag football. I mean, you can't breathe on a quarterback and you can't touch a receiver. Yeah. So it's a different game. So it's hard to even evaluate a guy like Bob Greasy uh, because maybe he would have been a great quarterback in this era. We, we have no idea. Uh, but Josh Allen, uh, the thing I like about him is, you know, you talk about Jim Kelly. He has a lot of that same toughness. Uh, he's a big, strong body. Who uh, He's like a linebacker playing quarterback. Uh, but, you know, I'll never forget what Bill Parcells said, and this applies to all sports. You really got to know by the guy's third year. Uh, Bill Parcells used to say, your first year you don't know that you don't know. Your second year, you know that you didn't know. And your third year, you damn well better know. Uh, and, and I think when you look at Josh Allen now, when he goes through his progressions as a quarterback or he's at the line, even before the ball snapped in terms of his audibles and just his, his body language, he looks like a young man that has a lot of confidence in what he's I agree. doing. And, you know, it's also – I go back to continuity – They've had the same offensive coordinator. Right. They've had the same defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, so how, how is a kid going to develop? I think a kid develops when there's stability around him. And then they figured out that, hey, man, you got to go get Stefan Diggs because he's a number one receiver. Beasley is a sensational uh, slot receiver, even though he's five foot eight. He's remarkable. And uh, they figured out how to surround him uh, with the right pieces to complement his strengths. And I think uh, their, their offensive coordinator does a good job as well, kind of a game planning to stay away from his, his weaknesses and bring him along in, in a way that uh, he can progress. And you can say this about a hockey player, or a baseball player, or a ba basketball player, so many of the same dynamics that exist in terms of developing a player and getting – getting them on the right path, uh, but, but you're seeing it before your eyes. And I also, I also see it's, it's something that I, I think is very Western New York, uh, Jack, and that is the, the player has bought into playing in Buffalo. And Jim Kelly finally did that. It took him a while, but Jim Kelly finally did that. Doug Flutie did that too. And look at the following Doug Flutie had in Western New York. And now Josh Allen has bought in to playing in in buffalo and playing for the bills and playing playing for playing for maybe the most rabid fans in professional football you know it's interesting playing in a buffalo playing in like a green bay uh it, it's a it's definitely it's definitely different than tom brady being in tampa bay or new england his whole career uh you know it, it's a different lifestyle and, and and certain guys can handle it certain guys can't um you know, you look, you look at Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, like a Jim Kelly, like a Doug Flutie, 
you buy into where you are and you appreciate the fact that uh, I think so, so often young players get caught up in the glitz and glitter and they don't realize the substance of the people you actually play with and actually winning is fun and being with good people is fun and having fans that show up every week. I mean, you can play for the Miami Dolphins, but uh, on a regular basis, you know, a third to a half of the fans at those games, when you play a home game or from the other team, there to go to the such. So uh, to me, I, I think uh, a lot of times players miss the boat about the passion and what it means. I think the Buffalo Bills mean an incredible amount uh, in terms of civic pride and the connection with the community. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting, even when you look at a, like a, a franchise like the Raptors, and you hear all these talking heads on ESPN and around the U.S. talking about this market in the U.S. and that market in the U.S., all the Raptors do is sell out every game. All the Raptors do is on, uh, you look at their TV numbers on a national level, and you even compare them from a regional perspective versus the other 29 teams in the league. And the mm -hmm. Raptors are destroying those teams. And yet people say, well, oh, you'll be better off playing in Orlando. Well, there's 4,000 empty seats. Uh, you know, so my point is there's a lot of, you, you got to, there are a lot more things in play to making a great experience for a player in a community. Uh, and I think uh, Buffalo is a great place to play for a football player. Uh, and, and John, you know this, the guys that have had the hockey experience, I think overwhelmingly we'd say the same thing. And I think from a Toronto perspective, in my 23rd year now calling Raptor games, I've seen a complete shift now. And players, when they come back and have played here, uh, they say, man, this is one of the greatest experiences of my career. Uh, and again, it, it comes down to just how connected the fans are to their team and how passionate and loyal they are. And uh, I think it's the same way in Toronto towards the Raptors. Well, you talked about the parallels between the uh, Buffalo Bills and the Cleveland Browns, and 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 they really are are, are true, um, and and parallels within the cities as well. Uh, look, at, there are plenty of Saber fans. I'm sure every sports fan in Buffalo is a Sabers fan, but the real passion, the real desire, the what really grabs at their heart are the Buffalo is the Buffalo Bills, and and if if you asked, I think almost any Buffalo fan whether they would rather see um, a Super Bowl win or a Stanley Cup win, maybe reluctantly they'd say, well, give me the Super Bowl. And I'm, uh, the, I, I guarantee you the exact same thing applies in Cleveland. While the, you know, the, the Cavaliers have won championships and been awful uh, at the same time, the Indians haven't won a World Series for a while, and, but they've had their moments. At least moments. they've come close. But – the Browns have done nothing in 25 years uh, since uh, Art Modell stole the franchise and took him to Baltimore. And, um, and yet that passion is unmistakable. There, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that the Cleveland Browns are the number one team in Cleveland. And there's equally no doubt in my mind, unless you disagree, that the Buffalo Bills are the number one team in Buffalo. Oh, I agree. And, you know, I think a big part of it is just it's one game a week. And there's such a buildup per week and the whole tailgate, the tailgating experience. And uh, it just, it, it's just, there's something about it. Um, 
that that's special. And and it's funny, like uh, like you know, for example, like when we have a if there's a one o'clock Bills game, I mean I'm at the stadium at, by eight thirty in the morning. You know, we got the grill fired up and uh, the cooler wide open, and I run into so many people from uh, Toronto at the Bills games. And they go to me, they're like, this is, you got to love it. This is like an amazing experience uh, from the start of the day to the end of the day. Uh, just, and, and it, you know, it, we don't have college football in Western New York, you know, and, and Ohio at least is blessed with so many college programs, obviously the Ohio State University, the biggest one. Uh, but so people in this area, that's their connection of like being an Alabama fan or whatever. So it's like a really, really big deal. And it's a wonderful experience. And uh, I think, you know, another interesting thing is people say, well, you got to build a new stadium. I'm like, no, I'd ra I like the stadium where it is uh, because there's, there's a charm to it. And if you put a, 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 a stadium in downtown, uh, it takes away a lot of what makes the Bills game specials. And, and that and that is going to the game three, four hours early and tailgating and all that. Uh, if you're in an inner city stadium, uh, it takes a lot of that charm away from it. Just, to, to just try to invent ways to get out of the stadium easier, Jack. That's the key. <laughs> you try well, to I find agree. that's that's the, that that to me is the only issue about what, what of the problem is that you end up on one road. You end up going out on one road, and that's a problem. I have the solution. What we do is we just hang out in the parking lot for a few hours after the game <laughs> and have a few beverages. I have somebody driving me home, so it's all uh, good. Uh, Get there early, leave late. That's the idea, right? <laughs> hey, that, it's, it's a, it's a full-day commitment, Bobcat. Oh, I hear well, you. And there's all, and that and that's and there's really only eight of them, and which is that's that's uh, that's the best part of it too in the regular season. That's it. That's when uh, when they're actually we're allowing people to be in the stadium. It'll be nice to be able to go back to it next year. Uh, let's get to basketball a little bit here. Um, you know, my my opinion of uh, of preseason games or exhibition games, however you want to term them, is um, is pretty much consistent with every sport. Oh, I will watch, but the reason I will watch is because I haven't seen a game in that sport for several months and I'm, you know, I need my, my engine recharged. What I do not do is watch exhibition or preseason games and make any, have any opinions on what I'm seeing and what that means down the road. Having said that, there is an obligation on the part of the coaching staff to make some of those decisions or are those decisions essentially made in advance, in a boardroom, through conversations, and less about what you see on the court. As a former coach, were, would you say you were guilty of predetermining the destiny of a player, to a, at least to a great extent? Uh, two things. Number one, I agree with your thought about preseason games. I, I, you know, I remember the game for about as long as it takes me to get to my car, and then I try yeah. to block it out. Because yeah. most of them are all horrible. Uh, and secondly, uh, to your point about, uh, I, 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 there's no doubt when I think back at coaching and we had uh, exhibition games, uh, we would sit down and strategize minutes and, and play, uh, personnel groupings and who we wanted to see who with. 
And then, you know, you'd come in, the, you, after the game ended, you'd watch the film, and then you'd make uh, some evaluations and you rate guys. So I don't know if they're predetermining uh, a guy's destiny, but I think they definitely are predetermining what situations they want to see them in and particular guys they want to see them with. And then they can make evaluations after they watch the film of, you know, hey, what do I think of Malachi Flynn uh, doing this, this, and this when I call these particular plays and when I had him with this group, when I had him on the ball, when I had him off the ball, uh, when I had Matt Thomas in the game, uh, you know, the guys that he played with, you know, things like that. So, yeah, there's no doubt, uh, you know, if I have uh, Pascal Siakam on the floor, maybe I'm going to have – we're going to run this series or that series and see uh, what his reaction is with the ball or off the ball. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you're trying to throw in a lot of little things that maybe you're working it in in practice. Sometimes you're just throwing them out there into the deep end and seeing how they react, particularly your second unit players, uh, to try to get a determination of, of in live action uh, with not a lot of structure. Uh, on their own, are they going to make good basketball decisions, or is this a guy I can't trust? I, I actually, you're, I, I was going to say the only reason for the preseason games for me was to, to see Malachi Flynn. He, he might be the only reason. Well, I think, I think Jack, you mentioned, you mentioned the two guys that I was interested in seeing. One we hadn't seen before in, in, in Flynn. And the other is Matt Thomas, who got used sparingly last year and at times appeared to be a valuable asset, but there just was not a place for him to get a lot of minutes. So talk a little bit about these two guys. I think they were the two best players in the first preseason game. Statistically, they were. Um, what opportunities are they going to get to have, in Thomas's case, significantly increased minutes, and in Flynn's case as a rookie, anything more than, uh, you know, dirt time? Well, uh, first of all, Matt Thomas, I, I really like his game. Uh, you, Me know, too. you know, when you, the, the sad thing about what we're going through now is you can't be in the gym and to watch Matt Thomas work. I'll never forget. We were on a West coast trip last year. I don't know where I was. And he was just going through his pregame routine. And I sat there for like 25 minutes and just watched him. And when he was done, he was soaking wet and he came over and Hey Jack, how you doing? I say, hey, Matt, I said, Matt, can I say something to you? He said, yeah. I said, you're a pro, man. I said, that was impressive what I just watched. I said, your, your level of preparation and attention to detail by how you go about your work is impressive. And that's habits. And so when you get in the live games, you will have success because you prepare the right way. And he goes, well, thank you for saying, you know, but my point is I buy into guys like that. I mean, he could, he could shoot the you-know-what out of it. Yep. Uh, he, he, and, and, but my thing with a guy like that is he's a pro. He's a 26-year-old second-year guy. I like mature players. I like guys that are pros. Uh, he played over in Europe after he finished at Iowa State. And I, I think he is a guy, uh, you know, he has some physical limitations sometimes, particularly when he gets caught and switches defensively. But overwhelmingly, he knows the right play to make. 
And he's a good complimentary piece with some talented guys around him that will be a shot maker. You got to guard him. He'll make all the right basketball plays. And uh, I, I think he's a, a guy that can definitely have more of a role this year. And then Malachi Flynn, I would say, you know, I, I got a chance to watch him play quite a bit last year because I'm a loser and a degenerate. I stay up late at night and I watch West Coast basketball, you know. So, at, at, you know, at 1130 at night, you're watching a San Diego State game. And, and I'm like, man, I got to see this kid a lot last year. And his team was really good. I mean, they were really good. Uh, and he's just uh, – he's been compared a lot to Fred Van Vliet. Now, Fred Van Vliet played on the number one team in the country, led his team to the Final Four, and still didn't get drafted, which is a remarkable story. Fred Van Vliet was a tremendous collegiate guard. And it, it's playing itself out now uh, at the pro level. But, again, another four-year guy. And I look right. at Malachi Flynn – Another mature guy. Uh, so watching him play, he has a lot of those mature attributes. He's a shot maker. He's a playmaker. He defends. He's a little slight physically, but he knows how to play. And the thing I like about Nick Nurse, and obviously Kyle Lowry didn't play on Saturday night, won't play again tonight. But the thing I like about Nick Nurse is he's not intimidated playing these little small guys. I mean, they play Lowry and Van Vliet together a ton. Yep. Uh, so to me, uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind that, uh, you know, a guy like if, if, if Flynn, if, if he continues to get his reps and do a good job, he'll sneak him in there here and there and throw him, uh, throw him a, a bone here and there and play him a few minutes uh, at, the, at the right time because he's not intimidated uh, playing a guy who doesn't look the part. Fred Van Vliet doesn't look the part. Nonetheless, all he does is kick your tail and help you win. Um, Watanabe, what, what, do you, what have you seen and what do you th have you seen enough to have any real opinion of him? Not yet. I mean, I, I, I liked him at George Washington. He was a, a good young player uh, there. Uh, he's... He, to me, uh, what I liked about him, the only thing I, I could say uh, from watching him, this was my first, again, not being able to be at camp, uh, not being around to watch anything, it's, it's a lot harder from a distance. Uh, it's frustrating at times. But, uh, you know, watching him uh, in the game Saturday night, uh, I just think he's a guy that has a good sense of the five-on-five -five game and knows where he's supposed to go in terms, we talk about quarterbacks with progressions. I thought he carried himself like a guy that has an understanding of what's expected and what the structure and what the system is. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, whether he he can he can stick with them. Obviously, he was a two way a two way guy a year ago uh, at the end of the year with Memphis. Uh, so he's been around the NBA a little bit. It's just guys, it's so hard for these young players right now. With no summer league, no individual workouts with no, no, I get it. During COVID, it's going to be really hard for any rookie uh, to make as much of an impact as maybe a rookie could. Uh, it's going to be, a, I tell you what, it's a lot of pressure on your assistant coaches on a daily basis to really get these guys up to speed, not only in terms of their skill development, 
uh, your, your, you know, your strength and conditioning program, and just the mental stuff in terms of sitting with them and watching video and really getting them to see the game the way you want them to see it. Uh, because when the bullets fly for real, uh, you know, a lot of times that picture gets really fuzzy. And, uh, you know, that's when the mistakes start to happen. So uh, I think with any of these young players, uh, I think if you're Nick, if I'm, if I'm an NBA coach this year, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm jumping literally, theoretically, on a moving train. Uh, I'm going into the season playing a little bit, maybe a little tighter rotation early on as, as much as I can. And I'm really trying to keep an eye on my better players on off days, mm -hmm. or maybe resting them a little bit more. Because in, in order to get off to a good start, I think you got to really roll with the guys that you trust early until the other guys figure it out. And yet it, it actually may be easier for the Raptors in that case because uh, when, when they're at home, they're not really at home. So everybody's a little more on a, a – not a lockdown, but everybody's going to be in Tampa together. And it's a different uh, case if you're playing at home games. Like for, if you're playing for the Heat, you're, pl you know, you're going from your house to the, to the gym. And the Raptors are actually just going from the hotel to the gym. Yeah, you know, and that's a challenge too. I mean, uh, you're right. I, I, you know, you, you know, this basically you're displaced. Uh, now, some players will eventually move out of the hotel and find a condo or whatever. But as you guys know, uh, that's difficult too because uh, how long are you going to be there? Uh, are, are, you know, you, you're, all you're doing is leasing or renting. Uh, is someone going to lease or rent to you for a few months, uh, or you're just better off in a hotel? What if your family comes down? Uh, what if you what if you have a dog or whatever you know it, there's just a lot of dynamics in play uh, and then how long are they actually going to be there uh, are, are they going to actually come back to Toronto uh, does, is that potentially going to happen I think a lot comes down to how the vaccine uh, progresses uh, on both sides of the border and hopefully the case numbers uh, start to drop fingers crossed knock wood lots of prayers uh, but I, I, I think right now, uh, for people to say, hey, the Raptors are going to play in Toronto in April or May, uh, I, I, I think that's who knows. That's probably, uh, who knows? I, I would say right now, you got to kind of just dial in and say they're going to be in Tampa for the season, right. unless something significant in a positive way changes. You know, guys, the interesting thing, we, we've now seen two Toronto teams, unless I'm missing somebody, I can't imagine I am. Two Toronto teams who have been displaced for well, the MLS team was displaced the second half of the season, Bob. But you don't Toronto kind of, you don't like soccer. Yeah. I actually <laughs> had them on the list. the The TFC was displaced, yeah, and um, had a great year. Uh, got beat in the first round of the playoffs, but their regular season, they're you know playing you paid away attention from home. to that. You paid attention to that marginally. Okay. Kind of like I'm paying. I'm marginally paying attention paying to anything attention. you say. Uh, and the Toronto Blue Jays. Played in Buffalo. Um, we don't have to remind everybody. And and made it to the postseason for the first time in God knows, well, since 16, I guess. So the evidence at this point, although it's a small sample, Jack, is that maybe this won't be as detrimental to the Raptors as you might think. Maybe, maybe I don't know, it can be helpful but it may not be that bad a deal. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's all about ball. 
And I think sometimes uh, one of the, cha- I, I reflect back just on my challenges as a coach, I had plenty of them. <laughs> but uh, one, one of the challenges when, you, when you're coaching young, and obviously the guys I had were younger, but being in the NBA now for 23 years as well, and spending a lot of time around coaches and executives and scouts and players and the whole thing, a big challenge always is keeping guys dialed in on what's important and don't spend the major on the minor. A lot of times they do spend the major on the minor instead of spending their time on what really matters. And that is on the ice, on the field, uh, on the court, whatever it may be, keeping guys truly dialed into their roots. I mean, when you're, you know, it's, it's all about ball when you're a kid and, I think the one thing that was refreshing that uh, I heard from a number of people that were in the bubble in Orlando, I'm sure, John, your hockey friends probably have the same observations. And that is that it kind of got these guys back to their roots of why they fell in love with the game to begin with. And, uh, you know, it's more that brotherhood and that common bond of the love of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think guys dial in a little more to competition, attention to detail, uh, pride in their work, and they don't have all the other nonsense that they're getting hit with, particularly young men with a lot of money uh, and a lot of you know, the, you know, things that come their way uh, that kind of get them off the course that maybe will lead to their success. It keeps them, uh, it keeps them on the straight and narrow. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. As a college coach, our players always did better academically in season than out of season. And you would hmm. say, no, you know why? Because we had them on, we were on them every second. You know, we yeah. were on their case. And then the minute you let them go out on their own, uh, they start messing up. And my point is. I think when you're in a more of a tighter uh, group and there's more accountability to each other every day and there's, you know, I I think it really favors you. Um, Last guy I want to talk about. You want to throw something in, John? Well, I I, I just, I want to change the topic completely uh, because, um, you know, this, this division, this conference that the Raptors are in is going to, is going to look a little different. Uh, in particular, I think that, I mean, the Nets are going to be a totally different team now. Steve Nash is the coach. Kevin Durant played the other night. Um, Kyrie's not talking to anybody, but that's another story. Um, but but are, are the Nets now the, pe- the team to beat in this division? Other than the Raptors, or is that are they the biggest competition? Because the Cel- I don't know what the Celtics really did in the off season to make themselves better. Uh, well, a few things. Or, I, I or, think the, re, I, or the Sixers, too. I mean, gosh. I, you know, I think respectfully, you hit, the, you hit the nail on the head. With the exception of the Knicks, the other four teams are all really good. Uh, yeah. Now, you know, the hype machine loves the Nets because of Kyrie and KD, and ESPN will be all over them every day of the week. Uh, but that, that's, there's a wear and tear to that, too. Uh, I think the good thing for the Nets is – in the beginning, there won't be fans. And I think for a guy like Steve Nash getting his feet on the ground as a head coach, I think the less distraction, the better. Uh, and the less hanger-ons around your team, the better. 
and, and just because you got to get in the gym and you got to kind of create some chemistry. Uh, there's some big fish there in Kyrie and KD, but the chemistry has got to come from the group. And you still have the distraction hanging over uh, them and, and the Sixers uh, when you talk about James Harden. Uh, could he potentially go to one of those places? That changes everything. Uh, so I, I still think the Celtics will be very good. I love their acquisition, by the way, of uh, Tristan Thompson. I love that acquisition. You do, huh? Uh, you do. Uh, I wish the Raptors had got him, to tell you the I truth. Love Trist- I love Tristan Thompson. He is a hard-nosed guy with a championship ring who's played in a lot of big games. Uh, I, I think a year ago, if the Celtics have Tristan Thompson, they just were soft up front. Uh, I think if they have Tristan Thompson, uh, they could have go- gone further. Uh, so I think he's going to help them. Now, they'll miss Gordon Hayward, but I thought they played really well without him. Uh, and, and I think at, at some point in time, you only have one ball. And with Tatum, Brown, and Kemba, I, I, I think that's a reason why uh, Hayward opted out to leave because uh, I think it, it, was, it was frustration on his part. So I think they'll, they'll be good. I think Philadelphia, uh, they've added some shooters around Simmons and Embiid. But again, who knows what's going to happen uh, if, if James Harden's lurking in the shadows. Well, will will there be a Doc effect? Will there be a Doc effect there? I think, uh, you know, I think what Doc does, I think Doc has great uh, command. Uh, I think he walks in a room. He has a tremendous presence. Uh, guys respect him. Uh, he's got a, he's got great people skills, uh, and and I think he will hold guys accountable. I think Brett Brown did as good a job as you could possibly do there. But after a while, you know, you're kind of you know, unfortunately, sometimes uh, the voice gets old, and uh, they couldn't get over the hump. And I think sometimes he couldn't have those delicate conversations uh, with the guys that you need to have it with. Uh, you know, uh, so to me, uh, that, that's a big thing. I think Doc coming in will be able to have direct, candid conversations with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and say, look, whatever you did here under Brett Brown, that ain't happening now with me. So it has nothing to do with tactics and X's and O's. It has everything to do with the fact that, hey, man, you guys are really good, but you're still all about hype right now. It's time to cross the line, and it's time to make the next step as pros, and it's time to get us where we need to get to. And we're going to surround you guys with shooters and compliment what you have. But guess what? you got to be that much better than you've been. And this, what you've done so far is unacceptable. And I think Brett Brown maybe couldn't have those kind of conversations uh, at, at the highest level with those guys. I think Doc can. Because he can say, no matter what happened in L.A. with the Clippers, he did a very good job there. Uh, but he's got a championship ring on his finger uh, from his time with the Celtics. Uh, he's had experience as a head coach. He has experience as a player. And I, I think he, he's a guy – I like Doc Rivers a lot. He's a good man and, and a good coach. And I think he'll help those young guys. Well, um, just to run through your the the teams, yes, the Knicks are the Knicks. Uh, Boston <laughs> will be helped uh, by Thompson, the acquisition of Thompson, and they are a good team, worthy of watching. The other two, I guess I'm from Missouri when it comes to these two. You got to show me. Philadelphia has already shown me 
They were supposed to be really good two years ago. They were they weren't as good as the Raptors in the regular season. Then they got beat in the play in the playoffs. They were they four bounces as, away from beating the Raptors, Bob. Four bounces. Yeah, well, uh, sometimes you get shot and wounded, and sometimes you recover, and sometimes you don't. And I think that shot <laughs> killed the Philadelphia 76ers, and I don't think they'll ever be a championship team. And, um, and, and I, I love Doc. What's not to like about Doc Rivers? But can't turn chicken turds into chicken salad just by adding mayonnaise. And that's exactly what, what is being proposed in Philadelphia. As for New Jersey, you guys know Brooklyn. that is going to be a shite show in no time. Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. whatever they are. Hey, Bob, I'm from Brooklyn, okay? So I resent that. I mean, I, I you know... It has nothing, to do with, has nothing to do with Brooklyn. It has to do with <laughs> the fact that I'm, I'm too old to remember where these teams are. And if they... Any, 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 any team anything, that has... Any I wouldn't have to has, worry about it. Any team that has Kevin Durant's a factor. Let's face it. That's the bottom line. Any team that has Kevin Durant, if he's healthy, that's a fact. He's a factor. Well, and then you got... got but then you got Sybil playing beside him. Um, uh, what has Kyrie done? except screw up every place he's been. And, and not just the team that he's played for, but everybody that's around him. How long before Kevin Durant, you know, says civil war is on, get rid of him or get rid of me? I'm telling you, it is imminent. Jack, go. I, well, here, here's the point. You, you, you bring up something I wanted to touch on because I'm fascinated by this. Uh, Steve Nash, I think – if there's any one guy walking this planet right now that can connect with Kyrie, I think it's Steve Nash. I'll never forget having this conversation with Lenny Wilkins when he was the coach of the Raptors. And you guys remember, Lenny was a great player and obviously had a Hall of Fame career as a coach and a player. But I said, he was the last player coach. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I said, I said to Lenny, I said, do you think we'd ever see the time where we have a player coach again? He said, there's guys in the league right now that can do it. He said, but the job, you know, the league, the money has become so big and the technology. He goes, I, you probably won't ever see it again. And because I said to him, I said, I think Steve Nash and Jason Kidd could easily be player coaches. He goes, I agree. He goes, those guys have that, you know, uh, John Stockton could have been a player coach. You know, there, there are uh, uh, Mark Jackson. You know, mm -hmm. there, there are certain guys that. So to me, watching Steve Nash as a player, uh, he had that command of their team. As as great as Mike D'Antoni is, and Mike D'Antoni's been a, 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 he's an offensive visionary. He was ahead of his time offensively, and a lot of the things you're seeing now in the NBA are because of of some of the things that Mike. Uh, uh, some of the things that Mike really uh, brought to the league. Uh, but Steve was the guy that directed all that. Now, Mike is his assistant, which is really interesting. Uh, but to me, I think Steve Nash, uh, his personality, I mean, you guys have met him, you know him. Uh, he has such a great way about him. Uh, you know, it's like a doctor with a bedside manner. He's got great bedside manner. And uh, to me, I think his relationship with Kyrie uh, will be the most important thing. If he can connect with him and get him to buy in to that. And Bob, I see you shaking your head. And I, I agree. 
It might be a long It's call. Kyrie Jack. I love Nash too. And I think Nash has a chance to be a great coach. But nobody has been able to corral Kyrie. And I don't see why Steve Nash will be able to. I, I see him getting just as frustrated as Durant is halfway through the season and whispering in the ear of the general manager, the president, the owner, whoever, okay, you got to get, get rid of this guy. He has been a cancer in every place he has been. It's never worked. And I don't see how it's going to well, work he here. Worked. I hope By you're the way, right. He did, he, he did win a championship with one of the greatest players of all time. He won, you yeah. Know, they were, and they worked. The together. greatest they player of all together. time won a championship, and he happened to be to ride oh, along. If you remember that series, he's a great player, but he's oh, a pain oh. in the ass. If he's you remember great, that series, a lot of it was on Kyrie's back. He's a. I would agree with what you said, John, and I would agree with what Bob said. It's interesting, though. Look at LeBron James and Kevin Love's comments in the last week of what Kyrie talked about, saying that uh, you know at the end of the game. This guy I'm playing with now, KD, probably would be the first guy I'd actually give the ball to instead of myself. And some of the comments that he made, and like LeBron was like, are you kidding me? I, he goes, I had to not only listen to the interview, I had to read the transcript of it. And Kevin Love was kind of the same way, just talking about uh, just, you know, it, it, I agree. There, there are certain things, you know, and you just hope with time and maturity a guy like Kyrie Irving gets it. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But my point is, if there's ever a guy that can maybe get him to see the light, uh, you know, what's the old line? Sometimes you can see the stars, but you can't see the light. He can see those stars. He hasn't seen the light yet. If there's one guy that's going to help him see the light, uh, I think it'll be Steve Nash. As From a Raptor perspective, I hope the whole thing's a gong show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm betting on it. Um, and not necessarily because I'm a Raptor fan, just because of, well, it's Kyrie. Uh, we're going to let you go. We've had you a little longer than we anticipated, and you're always a good sport. And, um, of course, I have to get ready for Monday Night Football, too. So it's only... Well, you going to the, you going to tailgate now, Bob, in the driveway? I'm going to tailgate in the family room. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit <laughs> on my couch for the next eight hours and just wait for the opening kickoff. Oh, there you go. Uh, you look beautiful, Armstrong, and we love you. You know that. And... Um, Thanks a lot for taking a few minutes for us. We appreciate it. Bob. Well, I love you guys, and you guys have meant a lot to me in, in my career and my, my life, and I appreciate uh, both of you, and I appreciate being on with you, and I want to wish both of you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and all the best to you and your families. Ho, ho, ho. Hey. Same to you, pal. And, Merry uh, Christmas stay to safe. you and the kids, boy. Uh, Peace, guys. The coach, Jack Armstrong from TSN, will come back uh, midweek for another edition of the uh, Bob McCowan podcast. Until then, see ya.